here we go. We are back for another Trigger Proof Transmission. It is a absolute joy and sometimes pain to be with you today. <laughs> it's the truth. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with this content. Um, first of all, I didn't expect to be teaching this stuff 10 years ago. That's the first thing I constantly, before I hit go live, I always have a little bit of a chuckle as to why I'm actually talking about this and what the journey, I have a little bit of a laugh of the journey that led me here having this conversation. Um, and um, I never imagined myself teaching about this stuff, but it wasn't until I went through the experiences that I went through uh, over the past few years and in my own quest for healing, understanding the nervous system and its role in healing and our healing and our well-being within relation within relational dynamics when i started putting it all together um it was like this light bulb came off and so uh based on the questions that i've been getting from many uh, viewers and subscribers to the podcast and youtube channel um, I thought that it would be wise for me to break down the anatomy of a what most would consider toxic relationship. I don't like to use that word, but I only use it because uh, it's relatable to people. I'm I'm of the opinion uh, I want to rename those those words um, toxic to wounded. Uh, to, you know toxic to human wounded unconscious relationships, which we've all. You know, as I meet more people and listen to stories, I realize we're really very much similar. We're in a lot of similarities. And, and my hope is that you will learn something today that will help you um, awaken an insight that you didn't know before. Um, and not only that, but take some sort of action rather than sitting back and just numbing yourself on content on social media that perpetuates a narrative that is not helpful to your healing, um, I want to help protect you from that. I want to protect you from a narrative that keeps you stuck in an identity that's disempowering. I want to hopefully empower you with this conversation. And empower you sometimes means um, getting uncomfortable. Uh, I haven't I get a lot of hate mail as well, which uh, is interesting where uh, people don't like people don't people. I talk about healing from triggers and uh, trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less. It means being willing to be triggered and to look it look inward first rather than reactive. So. I don't know why. I mean, it's kind of like a twist of fate that I work in the minefield of triggers with people who uh, are struggling with, as many of us have, with emotional dysregulation. And so when that happens, it's really wise for me to do the work that I'm teaching. And it's an opportunity every single day for me to do that. Um, not just as a parent, not just as a husband, but also as a, uh, a guide 
for other people healing their traumas and working towards creating secure attachments in their lives and breaking cycles of generational trauma that didn't start with them. So it involves having difficult conversations. So I want to break down um, uh, a topic that will no doubt, if we're doing it right, will for sure trigger uh, trigger you. And I want you to I want you to look at it instead of something to be afraid of or something to feel attacked by. That the if you feel activated or you have an emotional flashback when I'm talking, and I'm going to go into kind of details of the anatomy of a of a dysfunctional kind of um, uh, unconscious. Uh, trauma bond, essentially. I'm going to talk to you about trauma bonds um, and how common they are. Um, to listen with your body. And when your body is starting to get activated, what's happening is there's a truth under there that you either have been suppressing uh, consciously because you don't want to hear it, those are the people that avoid these transmissions altogether. It's like, all right, I'm living a lie. This guy says stuff that really brings up the fact that I'm living a lie and I don't really like it. And I think he's an asshole for doing that to me. Versus, all right, I'm going to listen to what he's saying. And I'm going to pay attention with my body because it's giving me indicators that I might have been kind of turning my back on or not wanting to see. But this is really what the work is. The real work involves embodiment. Uh, Dr. Russ and I come here every week on Clubhouse and we have our chats and he's a neuroscientist and he was one of the first people that I met from the dark side of the force in the medical field. Uh, we kind of joke he's in the dark side. Um, that actually have got it. He's actually got it. I've been saying this for 20 years and I meet a medical doctor who's been, who's screaming it from the rooftops, only he's got a neuroscientist, he's got a neuroscience degree. Uh, so he can actually validate neurologically everything that I've been saying for 20 years, which I didn't have the background that he did, but it really gave me the confidence to, to step up and say, yeah, you know what? I see my buddy Russ is teaching the same stuff. We're on the same path. Um, I really want to, I, I want to give myself permission for sharing this with you. Uh, I left my chiropractic profession, uh, because I discovered that the anatomy of our neurology, the way that our, our, our nervous systems were wired, um, cannot be rewired just with a chiropractic adjustment alone. It's very helpful. And I tell all of the students in our programs, part of their trainings and their modules or make sure you're going to get chiropractic care as well. Um, but I didn't want to just stop there. I wanted to go upstream. And what I discovered was kind of scary. What I discovered, meanwhile, while I was going through my own relationship breakdowns, I went from one divorce to one common pattern in a relationship dynamic, which started off with, you know, traditional any type of any type of relationship that's heavily polarized with sexual charge and um you know there's a love bombing phase and then there's you know there's a phase of just this honeymoon phase and then boom we just get into a pattern and i just couldn't bypass this pattern and i kept repeating it until the very last relationship that i had um which ended in 2018 
was the most toxic that it's ever been. Like it has never been that bad, which forced me to pause everything that I was doing to look and go, excuse me, why did I behave that way? Why is it that I was, was able to be pushed into that deep level of unconsciousness where things, when things would just get abusive, we would be abusive to one another to a point where I've never experienced it before. I mean, and we couldn't, and it was a maze that I couldn't get out of. It was terrifying because I knew rationally this was not the right relationship for me, but I felt like I was spun in a web and I couldn't get out. Not only that, I became abusive and it's never happened in a relationship. In other words, these are like, it was getting worse with time and it wasn't because I'm not smart. I'm plenty smart. It was, I just couldn't figure it out. And it was scary to me. And so it sent me on this search and I realized it. I got to the bottom of it. And my only concern at that point was number one, how can I make sure this never happens again? How do I make sure I do not repeat this absolute disgustingly toxic cycle yet yet addictive? Why is it so addictive? That was another question. Why was I so addicted to that dynamic? Which I'm gonna answer for you today. And how do I make sure it never happens again? So that number three, here's my third, How did it happen? How do I make sure it never happens again? Number three, can I, am I too broken that I can't have an actual secure relationship? I'm in my early 40s. I don't have a family at this time. I'm starting to get a little concerned. I have a twin brother who doesn't have this problem. So what's wrong with me? How do I resolve this? And if I can, if I can do number three and I can be actually congruent with it. It's not just a fucking act that I'm putting on just for, you know, uh, just to have people say, Hey, look how amazing Nima is, but it's actually a genuine connection. If I can do that and have it be authentic, can I help teach other people? Can we, can I repeat this pattern? Cause there's no way that I'm the only one in this toxic relationship dynamic. So it led me on this journey of healing, uh, to the point where I, I realized that I was the narcissist in the narcissist codependent trap. Now I'm going to use, I'm going to use these terms like narcissism, like codependent, like borderline first with the, with the underlying kind of a few things, disclaimers. Number one, I am not a psychiatrist, psychologist, nor am I an academic expert in narcissism, codependency. I have no interest in diagnosing and treating disorders. That's it. That's the first thing. I am coming from a place, I'm a coming, I'm coming from the position of a clinician. A clinician who has spent his whole life being gaslit for finding things in people where the medical system doesn't see and being able to apply something that was considered fringe, like chiropractic, but be very successful and produce an amazing career because I was able to get actual results from people, not because I had referrals from medical doctors saying, hey, could you take care of our patients? That rarely even happened. It was from people who 
didn't get results. They didn't get outcomes that they were looking for. They tried all the traditional approaches, which is why I love it when people apply to our, our, um, our trainings and our, our uh, programs. We want them to have tried stuff before. We don't want you to just think that, you know, we actually prefer that you've already invested in therapy and counseling so that you can experience what it's like talking to people and go, okay, I've tried that route and I can see that it's falling flat for a reason, right? I want, I want to, it's kind of like, we want you to already have experienced the truth we've already experienced that you're not going to be able to watch this video alone or listen to this podcast and have the problem resolved. Impossible. Because we're not addressing the, uh, the physiological, the biological component. You might get an insight here, but that's not going to solve it for you. In other words, some, some healing work, some deep inner healing work, some integrative work, some embodiment work is definitely required. I wasn't, I wasn't able to do that just without it. Um, so Here's basically um, what happens in these, in these diagnoses is I want you to see a whole integrated self in the middle. And as you teeter on this side of the fence, on the left side, you start to develop narcissism. And I'll tell you where, you know, what, where that all comes from and why narcissism uh, is a strategy for many people that makes sense. Um, and how codependency is actually on the other side of the coin from the center. So we have center, which is a, a whole integrated human being. And the further we go on to the left, the whole narcissism, we become narcissistic in our traits. And we keep going as we go further in our wounding and our trauma, we become NPD. They would classify as a personality disorder. And on this side of the fence, we have codependency on the right. And then as we go further and further beyond with, with the trauma, uh, we become, we have borderline personality. We have these borderline personality disorders. Now, what's important to know, uh, according to one of the leading experts of narcissism, his name is professor Sam Vaknin, who I am a, a student of, I follow his work because he's pretty much the, the, the grandfather of this whole thing. The, the highly most intelligent, uh, most well-researched person on it, on this, this topic and he himself is a uh, narcissist and psychopath, by the way, which is really interesting. Hilarious guy. Um, basically, how narcissism is formed, which is pretty much how codependency is formed, um, it's, a, a, it's a reaction to any breach of emerging boundaries of the child. This happens in childhood. So you want the anatomy of a toxic relationship. We have to go back to childhood. Okay. And any breach is a, a, of an emerging boundary when a child can't separate from the parent without a punishment or a consequence because the parent is dealing with their own insecurities and abandonment wounds. We have the makings of narcissism. So we have on one hand, when you spoil and idolize and pedestalize and instrumentalize the child or, uh, or parentify them, you know, and, and, and you are like, hey, you are the oldest, for example, out of six kids and you were expected to take care of everyone and you were, you know, instrumentalized or you were parentified. Or you had to let, take care of the emotional needs of, of the younger ones because there was 12 of you that around and it's just your parents didn't have time. Uh, you know, 
what happens is the child can't really separate from the parent when that happens. There's a, there's a boundary and the child does not have an ability to create a firm sense of self, right? Or if the child has been, you yourself, have been sexually abused, physically abused, psychologically abused, shame, using shame. Psycho, shame is, is a form of psychological abuse. You know, you, you um, stop crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. That's a form of psychological abuse. This, it creates within the child a defense mechanism. When the child has this, it's a solution to this deep rage. And the child basically creates this private kind of relationship and uh, an imaginary universe out of everything to deal with their shame. This grandiose, this false, brilliant, perfect, lovable, grandiose, false self. Right, And the message the child gets is that love is conditional as long as they show up as this false self. So you get rewarded for this false self. The true self goes away. And this is the makings of what, where narcissism happens. This newfound, this, you know, the, best, the, the rest of the life of this narcissistic type of individual, not necessarily NPD, depends on how uh, deep this trauma is. But we all pretty much have it. Anybody who's Persian, has this. If you look at um, every Iranian that I know, <laughs> pretty much has this, this false self. Uh, you, you know, I see it in, I mean, obviously I'm Persian, so I see it in my own culture. Let me know if you can relate to this. Um, you know, this, this false, this fakeness, you know, it's funny. I was watching the Tiger Woods story on HBO. Boom. That smile and all those canned responses. This is the false sense of self because of a very narcissistic father who basically shared fantasy with him. Tiger had no choice but to become a narcissist. I mean, I was watching and I was like, wow, we have our opinions about Tiger Woods and what he did. Right. But then when you look back at the history, you're like, there's no way he could have shown up any other way. I watch, I love watching documentaries like that. I, I watched the, um, the one on um, R. Kelly, same thing. I'm fascinated by this. I'm like, oh, of course. Now I'm not saying this as a justification for their behavior. This isn't about justifying. This is like, ah, I think I get it. I understand it. So for the rest of the life of this narcissist, let's use Tiger Woods, of the narcissistic person. I don't know if he had NPD or whatever. Maybe, I don't know. It's, these are difficult, you know, these are difficult to diagnose. I hate the diagnoses, but I'm using them because this is the world we live in. It's just unresolved trauma. Because what happens is there's a black hole where the true self used to be. So there's an external apparition of the false self this ghost that we create, this person that we create, Will Smith, when you read Will Smith's book, he says, Will Smith, this was my false self I was creating. He's admitting to his narcissistic parts. This is part of everyone's kind of journey, hero's journey, right? So what happens is we, we then continue this pattern of putting up this false self in relationships, right? And, um, Basically, in order in the way that this person, the, the, the narcissist does relationships because of this empty shell of a false self, he will find a specific type of person that is an idealized match who he can engulf as his own 
to help him create a shared fantasy with her, which is what Tiger Woods would do with all these women. At the end, when the whole thing blew up, they were all like in tears because they all were genuinely in love with him. And Tiger Woods' biggest flaw uh, wasn't that he had sex with lots of uh, lots of these women. I mean, most superstars are pretty much, I would say the majority of them have been known to do stuff like that. The difference is Tiger would actually create a shared fantasy with these women. He would tell them he loves them. He would say, we're going to go off into these Dis, you know, exotic destinations and I'm going to leave my marriage and we're going to have this life together and we could be together. And so what happens is in those moments, because he's so dissociated, because the, uh, the narcissist is so dissociated from their true self, any type of dopamine rush, which is supply, which is sex supply and services, which my ex was amazing at just filling in that void all of a sudden becomes his supply he then turns and is like you're the most amazing this is where the love bombing stage happens doesn't know what to do with these emotions it's like a high you're the most amazing you're the most beautiful you're the most this there's i've never met anybody like you you're the most incredible person and so that type of individual is a perfect, perfect match for the opposite end, end of the spectrum, codependent all the way down to borderline personality disorder. And so what happens in the life of the borderline, the other way that happens because of this similar uh, wound where the child wasn't seen growing up, re rewind back to when you're a child, when you're a child, the narcissist's solution for not being seen is to create an idealized version of himself and find people that are going to uh, support him in that narrative. Well, the codependent solution for this experience of having to be perform uh, for, for love or, or to work for love, her solution is completely different. Now I'm using her for a reason because it's actually 50-50 now. It's not just he's the narcissist, she's the codependent borderline. It's actually now 50-50. We see this in the, in the men's groups as well quite a bit. I've been part of men's groups and I'm listening and it, this is just as common with men. Men, this is the Mr. Nice Guy. He's the codependent that ends up with the completely crazy narcissistic woman and he's posting in the men's groups going what the hell what the fuck do I do now what's going on and so I'm using he and her just for the sake of brevity but this is not just exclusive but it's just to kind of it can be both sexes it can be either way I just want to make it simple and forgive me for the pronouns and all of that stuff but it's just to be simplified if it bothers you click unsubscribe, don't listen. I get it. I understand. Let's just, you know, let's just have this conversation just uh, so that I can um, share it with you in a way to, to, to help you make sense of it. So the borderline codependent, here's where it gets toxic on the other side, right? There are two main anxieties because of this slaver enslavement 
that the codependent has been raised in. Same thing. It's just narcissist finds one solution, codependent finds the other. And by the way, a narcissist is just as codependent, is a codependent. So it really, it's all codependency. And the labels are just kind of like a good starting point, but everybody's work is exactly the same. <laughs> and most people are going to avoid doing it. <laughs> That's the sad part. This is why, you know, it has a happy, it has a, a hopeful, happy ending here, but it all depends on your ability and your willingness to take action because taking action of, for this is very difficult to do. Uh, and, and it can't be done alone because we've been entrained, we've been entrained and indoctrinated in systems that we didn't even know that we were part of. It's like a being born into a fishbowl with dirty water. So the borderline codependent has two main anxieties to cope with and contend with when getting into a relationship because of those wounds of completely abandoning themselves to, to have attachment and have an identity as a fixer and rescuer. There are two main anxieties. The first one is that experience of not feeling seen and heard for who she is and who, who um, just for being without having to perform. So there's a separation insecurity that occurs because that experience where you always had to work for love or else it'll be taken away, this breeds from the borderline codependent side, a separation anxiety. And the second part that it breeds is also engulfment and enmeshment anxiety. So I'm gonna write these down just to, on the Facebook, on the, um, Thing just so that you can see there's two anxieties for the codependent codependent borderline anxiety number one is separation insecurity This is another word for abandonment, insecurity, abandonment, fear of abandonment. That's essentially what that is. It's kind of more of a clinical word for it. And the second one is called engulfment. Engulfment. Or enmeshment insecurity. Insecurity. Now, what the hell does that mean? What is engulfment and enmeshment insecurity? Well, it's that, it's that experience where you're actually merging and fusing with a partner, kind of never to be seen again, right? Engulfment and enmeshment is that experience as a child, in order to be safe, I had to give up myself. Let's say you had an alcoholic father. Uh, you had to give up yourself and completely uh, f just make sure he was okay when he would, would get rip-roaring drunk. You would have to then become hyper-vigilant to the emotions of the other person. And to create this sense of safety, you would have to give up yourself. Basically merging with somebody else. And what ends up happening is you then learn that this is how you do relationships. That's what love is. Love is giving myself up so that I can be with this other person. 
because because uh, I because I'm never going to be loved for who I am. If I'm the, my real self, they're going to leave me. So I'm going to be whatever that they want me to be. You know, it's kind of like where the, uh, you know, the sex worker uh, in Vegas. Hey, what's your name? What do you want? What do you want it to be? You know, that's the epitome of prostitute energy. And I'm not saying this to offend you. This is kind of part of what the, the shadow is. This is our prostitute shadow. It's to merge, right? Now, you have two main anxieties. You have separation anxiety. Think about this. Talk about, talk about hell being in a relationship with this unresolved trauma, especially if you're codependent, you veer towards the codependent. We talked about the narcissistic side. Now the codependent side, on one hand, you're deathly afraid of abandonment and you're deathly afraid of losing yourself in a relationship. Think about that. Can you relate to any of that? Have you ever experienced that where you want to get in a relationship, but you're like, I'm afraid, or you use the words, I'm afraid of completely losing myself, right? Now, these two anxieties in the borderline codependent is constantly floating in the background as a solution to the pain of that little child who wasn't seen. Can you see how the narcissist has found a solution in creating a little empty shell with mirrors on it? It's like a bunker, imagine. It's kind of like the, the narcissist be, to, 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 to deal with their trauma. They go in and create a bunker around themselves with mirrors on it saying how great and grandiose they are so that they don't have to deal with the pain of that insignificant little child that wasn't seen. Yet the codependent and borderline, how they find a solution is they go into a bunker, lose themselves, go into that bunker, completely lose themselves and become whatever they, they perceive that they want to be, that, the, that their narcissist partner wants to be. So this you know, these anxieties that happen in her life, this, this insecurity of being separated and this engulfment, I don't want to lose myself, but I don't want to be alone. There is no happy medium to this. They're just without the real inner work. There's no in between, right? And so what happens is we're unable to regulate our emotions and have any groundedness in reality when you're in this uh, borderline codependent state. Your reality is someone else's reality. So you don't know is what's real. What's real? So to me, what's real is whatever my uh, authoritarian daddy said. That's my model of what's real. It's I'm going to go to an authoritarian and just up, uh, adopt what their values are and what their desires are because I, I, I can't have my own and I'm unable to regulate my emotions. People who are inherently healthy are able to do those two functions. These are the functions of our self, of, of, of the higher healthy self is to regulate our emotions and have a groundedness in reality, in our own reality. But people with cluster B personality disorders are not able to regulate their emotions and don't have a groundedness in reality. And so the abandonment is perceived as losing your mind. And this is exactly what my, when I started my relationship with my ex, 
This, after about six months, it doesn't happen right away. After about six months to a year, what happens is this in this relationship where the honeymoon phase is over, what happens is the borderline codependent usually is this enchanted using sex as a hook, using sex and highly manipulative because that's how you learned as a child to be able to get your needs met is using sexuality. So sex becomes the currency in this situation. This is how the toxic dynamic starts. My ex was a sex worker. She is a madam for other sex workers exploiting other women, but I didn't look at that. I was too busy in my shared fantasy. I was like, oh, let's just keep going. I don't have to look at the truth. I'll just kind of keep that shit hidden. Keep that hidden in the background. Just keep going. Everything's going great. Business is doing well. We're helping a lot of people. Why not? Why don't I just keep it going? Why, why would I? Eh, so every, every event we have to deal with like ridiculous abandonment anxiety to the point where I would have to hire extra people, friends, and say, can you look after her during the weekend workshop because her abandonment wounds would get so triggered, jealousy and all that stuff. Abandonment, now that I realize I have compassion for, it becomes losing my mind, losing a sense of self. It's like death. And en en engulfment is the similar death because you vanish, right? So this relationship started to uh, appear within about six months to a year of, of this, of our dynamic. And usually that's when it starts to get toxic. During the love bombing honeymoon phase, it's not as toxic because when all of the attention is on the codependent borderline, there's this sense of fulfillment that happens, right? There's this, there's this sense of fulfillment, this sense of one-upmanship. It's a power game. The borderline feels like she's in power because there's a pursuit going on, right? But once the hooks are in, in the, after the love bombing phase comes up, uh, there all of a sudden starts this dance this, it triggers once intimacy happens, once there is the hooks of intimacy. Now, once that those are in, you're not run by your cognitive mind anymore. The relationship now is run by unresolved attachments. These unconscious complexes that are stuck in the body. I'm a, I'm an intelligent, well-educated man, but I was completely powerless in the face of it. Does that make sense? A smart guy. I've helped a lot of people. Um, but still, I was powerless to it. Right? And so this approach avoidance push-pull, basically, is this desire from the codependent because she doesn't know how to regulate her emotions. And the, the relationship becomes this, this deal that, that the narcissist and the codependent strike or the borderline kind of strike together is that you help me regulate my emotions and and that's kind of what she wants and then for me I was like okay I teach emotional mastery when she met me she was like he's the one that's gonna fix me she told me she actually said it she actually told me flat out and I was like oh wow that's amazing because my ego needed it she was like 
when I met you and I saw the work that you did on, on, um, on YouTube and stuff, I knew you were going to be the one to fix me. I knew you could fix whatever's wrong with me. She had done codependency and now I, I didn't understand what borderline was at the time, but now I'm like, Oh, of course I was deep in my narcissism. She was, she's borderline and she's got borderline. And, um, so I liked that. I liked that she took, she was like, I was like, I get to rescue her. You know, I was like, I felt important, right? I felt it. Wow. She's really entrusting me with that. But these are, this is the makings of a codependent, toxic push pull dynamic. Because the second that she needs me to help her regulate, she risks losing herself, right? And so there's the avoidance. So then there's this push-pull, right? And it becomes back and forth. Does this resonate at all? How, can you see any parallels for you, right? So the beginning, in the beginning, it's always the same in these toxic dynamics. Um, she will often, because especially when you're using sexuality uh, to somebody who is just like Tiger Woods, <laughs> I can relate to Tiger Woods. Holy crap. You've been listening to the Trigger Proof Podcast, designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is nervous system regulation. Becoming trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less. It means learning how to regulate ourselves to bring us back to center so that we can then be governed by our purpose rather than from our wounds anytime there's reactivity there's a wound and if you're curious and inspired to learn more join us at breathwork and badassery or the overview experience and a combination of both actually helps you do the work there's a difference between listening to a podcast and actually showing up live and doing the work with a badass community who's all about breaking cycles of intergenerational trauma. It didn't start with you, but it can end with you if you're willing to do the work. See you at the next perfect time. I, I don't know any guy, I have a group of my guy friends together were like, can you blame Tiger Woods? I mean, could you handle all of that attention coming at you, especially with that much trauma? I mean, and not having done your own inner healing work and having to put up this false sense of self. You could see it in the documentary. He was just begging to just kind of drop this false sense of self. It's usually how it works. So in the beginning... Um, she gets to be the center of attention. So there's not really about uh, no, no problem. There's an empowerment feeling. It's about possession and competition when you haven't really healed those wounds because relationships become a consumership. It's like, what can I get from this person? So it's about possession and competition. Who's in charge? Who's on top? Bad bitches on top type of thing. And she's one of those. She was that, you know, she's got, she's, she's got a, uh, an international uh, business uh, just doing really well. And she's the madam. It was like empowered woman, right? And uh, she's, she's on top. And then as the relationships evolve, here's what'll happen. Resentments start to build up. You will trigger one another's abandonment wounds. And what happens is there's boredom 
and there's routines that will show up and this will trigger the abandonment anxiety is that oh my god it's not evoking these these intense emotions i have to recreate all of this drama because it's so familiar right and she when 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 in the in the case of the borderline when there is an attempt that you know, there's this, all of this drama that happens, these push-pull dynamics that sometimes confuses the narcissist. When he tries to accommodate her, she then pushes him away for getting too close. So is this one, please come close to me, get away from me. Please come close to me. And the testing will start to happen, right? Here, both the narcissist and the codependent will start to test in their own way, right? Um, and the test basically, it's like a shared fantasy is, is that, um, the role of the intimate partner is to become the mother is to become the parent. You know, it's, it's a deal that, that you actually striking the narcissist will say unconsciously, I'm going to love you unconditionally. When you first meet, when they first meet you, this is with the love bombing. And what, they, what they're saying essentially in the love bombing phase is, I'm gonna love you unconditionally as though your mother should have, but she didn't. In other words, I'm going to become the good mother that you never had. It's a very nurturing way because they, the narcissist, had a very similar upbringing. So he sees you. You know, a lot of our clients, they come in in tears and they're like, he, this guy who's married and he says he's going to leave his family is a very common thing. Guy, she's she's a codependent woman in love with a married guy. He says he's going to leave and she's like waiting and she's in this dynamic for like four years, right? And she just won't catch, catch the hint. Finally, she comes in and she's in tears saying, he sees little me like and nobody else ever has. Right. And it's because there's a shared um, pain from childhood that you both share. So he's able to hold space and see you like no one ever has. Right. It's like and here's the here's the best part. There's an idealized version of you that he says, you're beautiful, you're the best, you're, you're the most stunning and I've never met anyone like you. And what happens often in the codependent case is he creates this this hall of mirrors, this reflection of yourself that you actually fall in love with. He actually turns you into a narcissist. He basically, you get to experience, because of your lack of self-love, you get to experience self-love for the very first time through his eyes. And that's where the love bombing phase happens. And there's this deal that gets struck. When he says this, he says, I'm gonna be the mother that you've never had that you should have had in exchange for then you then mothering me, being the mother to me that I never had because my mother abandoned me. So what's he going to do in order to create this dynamic? He's going to, after the hooks are in, he's going to then devalue you and in arguments tell you how you were not what he expected. You are nothing. Nobody's ever going to love you and completely devalues you into the ground where you're nothing. You feel like you're absolutely nothing. And what he's actually doing in that situation is he's testing you. He's saying, I'm going to love you no matter what, and you're going to love me too. And I'm going to test you and I'm going to treat you like shit. I'm going to abuse you so that I can see if you really love me because a, a, a true 
mother would never leave her child even if he treated her that way. That's the game that's being played when this love bombing turns into the abusive part in that dynamic. Does this resonate with you at all? This might bring up some feelings, but I'm just letting you know the anatomy so we can dissect it. Now, she's doing a very similar thing. And I, by the, of course, I don't mean just she. It, this is the codependent. I'll use she in this dynamic because those are the peeps that watch my episodes and DM me with all their stories and stuff. What happens is there's an inner conflict that's happening with the, the codependent. It's on her side of the street is that she, there's a desire for, for, for not to leave. Don't leave me. But when you get too close, I'm going to push you away. And so she does these no, she creates these no win situations. If you've ever been told by your partner, it's like, I can't fucking win with you. I can't win. This is what's going on. I used to scream that from the top of my lungs. I can't win. I can't, it's like you, I can't win. You're playing this game. This is what you're unconsciously in this game. If you can, I was in that situation. I know what's, I know what it feels like. I, I had to sit here and unpack it. And so what happens is in these, the, the narcissist gets pushed into these no win situations and sometimes becomes abusive. This is when I would become abusive. This is when I actually wasn't because it was like, Hey, what's going on? And then uh, where's my dinner bitch? And then, and then it would be like that. It wasn't like that at all. It was situational. It was when I got so, I felt gaslit so much. I had to leave. I had to leave. And then she would physically barricade the door. You can't leave. You cannot leave. Nope. You can't leave. I refuse to let you leave. And it was a boundary violation, which is a form of abuse. So you're abusing one another. It gets volatile. And then what happens is this thing that borderlines do, look this up. It's called projective identification. It's when she actually recreates this dynamic, he becomes abusive so that it could fit that narrative. And it's not her fault. It's all an unconscious dance that both are entangled with. This is why I had never been you know, in abusive in my past relationships, but in, in her situation, every relationship is abusive not that it was her fault at all. I'm not absolving myself from any responsibility. I was very much entangled in the dance unconsciously, not through my fault, but this is, this is me unpacking it all. This was her side of the street. But what happens is because of the Me Too movement, because of the current victim narrative and all of these narc abuse survivor and abuse, 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 without really looking at the subtle nuances of both sides of the equation, painting it all in a black and white brush. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. I was painted as the villain. I believed it too. I was like, oh my God, I'm a monster. I would tell Kim, Kim, what's happened? I'm a monster. And she, luckily, she has, um, uh, in my team, she's got people in her family that had these cluster B tendencies. She said, no, Nima, you're not a monster. You made a mistake. There's a dynamic going on and both of you are responsible. Right. And so it took me a while to overcome all of that shame to have the courage to come and tell you there's an anatomy going on. But if we are promoting this one sided kind of black and white, there isn't any nuance and there isn't any comp complexities behind it. We are perpetuating these cycles. You will go from one 
victim relationship after another, which what happened, boom, I became the next perpetrator. And I'm like, what the fuck? How the hell? And then I learned about projective identification. I learned this unconscious dance that becomes so alluring. And there's a reason why it's so alluring. This no-win situation, I had to figure out why I got there. And the borderline is a perfect match for the narcissist. That's a perfect match, codependent narcissist, because it's the same. It's the flip side to the same coin. And what happens is you get together for these toxic relational dynamics as a gift, I know that sounds weird, to trigger each other's wounds. You're there to trigger each other's wounds so that you could get complete with what was incomplete in your body. Let me explain a little bit more. It's a concept called dual mothering, okay? So dual mothering is when the narcissist, like I said, strikes a deal to mother the codependent and idealize you and love you unconditionally. The only one who loves anyone unconditionally is a mother. That's the only true unconditional love is the way is the way that a mother feels for her child. That's truly unconditional. Even though the, your mother might have her own cluster B uh, trauma, uh, you know, issues, she, there, it's truly an unconditional type of state as best they can, especially if they don't love themselves. You know, my my mom's my mom's got some um, some some deep tendencies to her. Uh, you know, in narcissism and I love her to death. Uh, and, and her, she, I know, I know, I know that the love is unconditional. It's just, there's a lack of love for herself, right? There's a, there's a, a, a dissociation, a, a shell, a hollow shell because of parenting that she was never seen. So then it gets passed down to the next generation. But what happens is the narcissist gives you the impression that he will accept you unconditionally like a good mother does. And all I'm asking you to do is to do the same. And I'm going to test you. I'm going to abuse you just to see if you'll still be there. And what happens is the borderline then gets mothered by the narcissist. Now, borderline codependent. This is the anatomy of the toxic relationship. There's two deals going on. The second part of this dual mothering is that the borderline or codependent then mothers the narcissist and becomes his dead mother because she's unfulfilled in the relationship. She's completely unfulfilled because who would really feel fulfilled feeling abused, which is kind of like what my... I think, you know, if I can look and see what my parents' relationships, this is exactly what's going on. That's why I was reliving it. If you're reliving it right now, there's no shame in your game. It's likely that's what you were modeled. And that's why we need to have the conversation so that we can break the cycle. Because there's a lot of shame involved in this. You know, there's a lot of people who don't really want to talk about it, who feel ashamed. They don't want, they think that they're throwing their parents under the bus. This isn't, this is really just people really taking ownership and saying, I'm ready to break the cycle. And the borderline deal is really interesting. This is the interesting thing, is the borderline then mothers the narcissist and becomes an exact replica of his emotionally dead mother. So the dead mother that was unavailable to the narcissist, my mother, still to this day, emotionally unavailable. Great with cooking and all of that stuff, but emotionally unavailable. That here's the, here's the best part the narcissist can then rescue. And by rescuing the borderline codependent, 
by rescuing the codependent borderline, what he does is he essentially rest gets to rescue his dead mother, his emotionally dead mother. And, and the borderline then acts as the dead mother so that, so that for sure he won't leave. This is why I could not leave for years. I was like, how do I get out of this relationship? I remember one point I wanted out, but I couldn't because I, I felt like I, I felt guilt. I felt incredibly uh, uh, an amount of guilt for leaving because I felt like I was leaving a, a, a mentally ill person. I couldn't. And I remember this one time we were driving in the car and I said to God, I was like, God, God, please, please give me a sign that this is, I should leave this relationship because I just, I don't, I can't do it. I'm too afraid to leave. I don't know what she's going to do. It was really scary. I said, please give me a sign. I said that in my mind about 20 minutes into the drive we got triggered into another one of our toxic arguments and she started screaming and she kicks the windshield and cracks the windshield. <laughs> and then I look up and I go, God, if, if that was a sign, thank you. I appreciate that. Still, it took me months to leave after even that sign because what I realize now, thanks to studying people like Sam Vaknin and Richard Grannon and all these experts in this toxic relationship game, I realized that I was not going to leave. And it, it, what happens is when somebody with a deep cluster B mental illness and it's getting toxic and it gets to that point where it's like you're swimming and, and they're drowning and they're saying, help me, help me. This is the borderline codependent that doesn't know how to regulate their own emotions and doesn't have a firm ground on their own reality. Abandonment anxiety is huge. So it's like, how do, how do I protect myself from not leave? But, but by not leaving, by becoming the dead, emotionally depressed mother that I had almost guaranteed that she wouldn't be abandoned. I couldn't, I couldn't abandon my own mother and it protected her from being engulfed because I wouldn't leave this is how it was. It was a limbo relationship. I wouldn't leave because I didn't feel like safe enough to leave because I was too scared and feeling too guilty. And I wasn't going to engulf her so that she lost herself with me because I was just like, Ugh, like that. And it took time, took time. But finally, I went inside and I did that work. And I finally did a very difficult thing, which is to say, I'm going to leave. Uh, and I started taking action out there. And that's when it triggered her abandonment wound and boom, the most difficult part of a toxic relationship oftentimes is an abusive relationship is when the breakup happens. Because what happens is when both parties have been abusing one another, the abuse will continue long after the relationship is done. And now there is about three to four years that we've been finished, but the abuse is continuing on the receiving end right now, currently, myself on the receiving end. And so I had to really get humble, take responsibility for my part in this dynamic 
and understand how this is all working and how I'm a player in this dynamic, it was very uncomfortable. It took a lot of courage. It took vulnerability. There's no way I could do it alone. I had guides. I hired people to help me see my blind spots. I was committed because all I cared about, remember those three things, where did it begin? Like, how did it happen? I just told you today's, today's uh, transmission is really about how it all happened. I just basically told you how it all happened, both of us. How do I make sure it never happens again, which is what I'm going to talk about next, but I had to go through a process and figure out how to not fake the work, just do talk therapy, just do counseling, and just maybe do some Demartini columns and lines, but really actually break the patterns and the coding that was deep into my nervous system because I sure as shit didn't do this on purpose. But I definitely knew that I was never going to repeat this again because I'm 43 years old and I have a limited time left and I want to experience a secure relationship. I want to heal all this anxiety that was running my life. I want to feel good when I look in a mirror. I want to be able to show up as not as my false fucking self. I want to be able to be real. And most importantly, I wanted to break the cycle for this little guy right here. That's my son, Dominic. I have my t-shirt if you're seeing the, uh, those of you on Clubhouse can't see, but I'm wearing my cycle breaker t-shirt that has a picture of my son, Dominic, with next to my baby photo. And we look very similar, but essentially I'm doing this for him. I don't want to have my son experience a father who can't meet him emotionally. I don't want him to experience a sense of self where he has to question who he is because of what I kind of enforced him uh, into being. And I sure as shit don't want him to experience a relational dynamic like I was living the first half of my entire life. I want him to be modeled. I want him to have a model of a safe, secure relationship where both parties are genuine, authentic. It's not it's not unconsciously covertly transactional of what we can consume and get from one another, but what we can actually give to one another and actually feel completely trusting in ourselves, in each other. That took some work. And um, I, am, I am very, very inspired to teach the right people how to do it. And I realized after teaching this over the past few years, uh, uh, first priority was being it myself for my family. Uh, but the second part was, is it possible? Number one, can't, you know, how do, uh, where did, why did this happen? Number two, uh, how do I make sure this never happens again in my life? Which I did. I've ne it's never got like my wife and I, we've been together uh, through COVID in this little apartment in our little bubble with a 15 month old and it has never gotten toxic. Of course we get into conflict. Of course, of course we disagree. But as soon as I'm like, babe, I'm going for a walk. She's like, all right, see you when you get back. What? You mean Nobody's barricading me? Wow, what did I do to deserve that? Well, as it turns out, when you go and heal the source of the trauma bond, instead of trying to fix the relationship, you then transform the world around you. What I, what I, what I just described for you in this last hour was a trauma bond. What I realized when people were reaching out to me afterwards, friends, even when I was in, in my pause mode trying to figure this out, 
I had friends reaching out saying, hey, we're having problems in our marriage. And I'm like, look, I'm in my healing mode right now. I'm not working with clients, but I'll just come over for dinner once a week and you can feed me and then I'll see what I can do. That's where it all began. Because I didn't think that I was ever going to talk about relationships again. I thought as soon as people heard that I became abusive, nobody would ever want to work with me again. So I, pff, forget it. I might as well just go back to being a chiropractor because this is it's not going to happen. And there's no way that a woman will ever want to date me again once she finds out the truth. And I can't just hide. I'm not the type of person to want to hide the truth. And it has been years that I've been able to be this truthful because of what's going on in the background. But things are now being able to come out to light. I'm writing a book about this. And uh, because I want to help people break the cycle of intergenerational trauma, I want people to to create families where children feel safe because the relationship between the parents are actually a safe, cool place. And I want to, I, I, my vision is communities that work that people take responsibility for their own emotional flashbacks and triggers rather than become at the effect of them so that relationships completely break down. And I want to teach people how to change the culture of their families. Is that grandiose of me? Well, I, 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 it's better than sitting there in shame of who I was, of how I ended up in such a horrible, horrific type of situation. Uh, how I could have been so blind, I could sit there and judge myself or I can have some compassion and go, look, it's not your, it's not your fault, but you know, it, it, it's not anyone's fault. It's not her fault either. This isn't about blaming. This is about taking responsibility. So this conversation really about the anatomy of a toxic relationship, I just basically dissected it all for you. And I'm curious to see what has come up for you. What were your main takeaways? Where you see yourself in this? Because the invitation for you is in the next three to six months, how long does it take to heal that? Oof, depends on your level of, of trauma that you've gone through. But I do know when people ask me, I was just on a podcast interview right now and they asked me this question, um, where does anyone begin? Well, you, you, you begin, I can't tell you where to begin because that's your personal thing. I can tell you where I began and then offer people who feel inspired to actually make a change to begin where I began. Not, to, not that anyone's going to force you into doing it, but if you're curious, I began to change my relationship with myself. The only way out is to stop sitting there, swiping on Tinder, praying for the right person who is authentic and to just go inward and to become your most authentic self, to shift the codependency dynamic that you were enslaved in without even knowing. I'm not talking about um, the slavery that, that we talk about traditionally. It's a far more uh, covert type of slavery that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, I mean, if you experienced uh, the Holocaust, if you ex you're the you're the ancestors of someone who went through the Holocaust or uh, slavery or actual slavery in African African American who's gone through slavery in their in their past, then you will have that experience of oppression deep in your body. And if you're a woman, you'll have that deep already in your body. It's already there. It's it, it's part of us, right? I'm talking 
I'm talking about the covert type of slavery, the religious idealisms that you might not have really agreed with, the physical abuse, the shame that was kind of instilled on you for not conforming, um, being compared to, not having your reality validated, um, not having a, a parent who just kind of sat and was able to validate your emotions rather than make them wrong and become at the effect of them. This is a deep conversation and we all have a form of, of enslavement in us and our healing journey is a hero's journey that no doctor or therapist or guru or coach can do for you. And it's wiser for you to find a guide that's going to help you become the hero rather than looking for a hero to rescue you. A lot of people... Um, are in codependent situations and are looking for help me, help me rescuers. They're just going from their, their partner, they're codependent on to looking for somebody to, 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 to rescue them. And the only way out we've discovered when we look at people who actually are successful with the work and those who just aren't the right fit are ones who are not looking for rescuers are looking to take responsibility are looking to be triggered, but take ownership of their emotional flashbacks rather than just completely become at the effect of them um, and, and, and build a relationship, a secure relationship with, um, with a community that is, that is curious to do the same thing and use whatever triggers that come up in the conversation to go inward. It's a really neat experience. You must be engaged in a conversation of possibility. The support groups that you go to are not about possibility. Of course, they're helpful. These support groups and 12 steps and all of that, it's helpful, especially when you go from despair to something. But this level of work it's got to be beyond that. You have to be inner resource. You have to have built up some emotional resources. That's why we like when people have done therapy a little bit. Uh, you know, you've done your own type of counseling or personal development. We love people who are into Joe Dispenza's work, Byron Katie's work, John Martini's work. Th those are usually some of the best clients we have because they get that their personal growth is not just an entitlement <laughs> they're not just entitled healing that they are responsible for it. And so, uh, being responsible, taking responsibility is really the not blame. Notice how in this conversation, I'm careful. Maybe I, maybe I didn't, it didn't land on you, but I was careful not blaming myself for what happened and not blaming my ex. Both of us were unconsciously coupled to help evoke healing if we choose or stay victim. And so it's important uh, for your health. Victimhood is poison. Victimhood and resentment and bitterness is poison to your nervous system. And I stand for your healing. So if there's anyone, if there's anyone who has any questions, curiosity, I would love to invite you to come up on stage uh, and let me know if you have any questions uh, about this conversation. This is uh, the anatomy of a toxic relationship. Have you been in one before? Can you relate to what I just said? Where are you at with it? Um, where, you know, where are you at with it? Where is your, where is your, uh, you know, what came up for you in this conversation? I'm curious. Go ahead and, and uh, raise your hand. I would love to have anybody come up and raise their hand. I see Joshua there. 
I'm going to invite Joshua. Come on up to speak. would love to hear anybody else who has anything that they would love to ask about this. But this is what I've dedicated my life to. Joshua, what's up, my man? You can hear me talk. Yes. Yep. You're a little Hi, bit. Hi, this is. Um, this is oh, can you hear me better now? Yes, I can. Okay. Um, Joshua, my name is Emily. Me and him, my husband and I were sitting here listening to your story and dissecting ourselves and our family and everything um, and Googling what a narcissist is and what a borderline is. And um, I was just wondering um, if it's kind of, cause I've had a lot of toxic relationships, but I can't, I don't know that I can necessarily identify with one or the other, um, maybe slightly more borderline. And I've probably dated a ton of narcissists. I'm wondering if, it, if this is really like, like it's a dichotomy between these two things or is it more multifaceted? You know how Good you can question. tend towards yeah. manic, manic or depressive and it's kind of mm -hmm. a scale. I don't yeah. know if it's like that yeah. or if there's like three or four of these totally. types of personalities. Totally, so totally. I to hear your opinion on yeah, that. absolutely. Um, it is very multifaceted. It is not a, it is, it is a false, one of my earlier, um, podcasts that I just did, and, uh, I think it'll be on YouTube soon is the three mistakes that codependents make that keeps them stuck in that cycle. And the first one is creating this false dichotomy that they're the narcissist. I'm the codependent. They're evil. I'm, I'm the good one. They're, they're the villain. I'm blameless. Um, it's not a false dichotomy. The truth the absolute truth is it's all covert narcissism. We all have it. Uh, we all have an inner Kanye. We also have to have healthy narcissism in order to, to, to be healthy. It's really about going from covert narcissism to healthy narcissism, which is really that I am, I am worthy I'm, I'm part of, there's a divinity within me that's not better than anyone else. I'm just as worthy as anyone else. That's a healthy narcissism that's the, that we get to as a result of healing our traumas. So it's not a dichotomy. And you will show up as it more in, the, as the nurse, you will show up more narcissistic in one relationship and you'll show up more codependent in another. In, in, in fact, what's very common is it, it, we see a lot is a woman in a relationship, she's codependent with a narcissistic man, but then she's the narcissist when it comes to her children who don't feel seen and understood by her because shows, because she's so codependently preoccupied with the, with the narcissist. So it's all a reflection. It's all just labels and titles. And yes, we play all of those roles. If you really die, all of the clients we've helped dissect, part of what we teach in the overview experience is how to break from this drama triangle and to take ownership where you are the victim, where you're the oppressor or the, 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 the bully, where, where you're, we're all, we all play the victim, the villain and the hero. And this is a drama triangle that happens in every relationship. So to heal, we must ha develop and cultivate the skill of owning where we're playing all of these roles. But because we, we, when we become so immersed in the narcissism and we just are blameless, I'm just innocent and I'm the empath. He's the narcissist, which is a form of grandiosity in itself to say that is like, I'm angelic and I'm blameless. And it, that's a covert kind of narcissistic uh, uh, stance on it is for us to take ownership of where we are.
That's the, that's the, that's the skill. And because we have blind spots, we can't do it alone. So you need to have a guide really walk you up that path so that you can leave empowered. And in one, one of the cases, um, we have a, a client who's in that codependency uh, and she's been with this guy who's been cheating on her for years. Finally, after doing this work, she was in limbo. Finally, after doing this work, she's like, oh, this relationship doesn't suit me anymore. I'm not pining after it anymore. And she was able to have the courage to finally leave. But she was able to see where she was the codependent, where she was the narcissist, where she was the rescuer hero, and where he was as well. And so once you get a bird's eye view of the whole thing, you're not at the effect of it. You can choose, you can change the dance. Is that helpful? That was very fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, thanks for your question. Awesome. Do you feel complete with that? I do. Yes. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Stunna. Hello. Hello. Hi. Thank, first of all, thank you so much for this space. I am just, my head is spinning. I'm a little <laughs> bit yeah. mind blown. Um, yeah. Just understanding the anatomy of a toxic relationship a little bit more. And it's just by chance that I kind of stumbled in here. I don't, I can't say I know much about toxic relationships, but I, I think I just figured out that I'm in one. Yeah. And most people I, unconsciously <laughs> are, unless you've done your healing work. Sorry to jump in on you. You're not alone. Yeah. Most relationships are based on agreements that we formed that we didn't even know we were a part of. And unless you've taken a look at it, unfortunately, what causes us to look, I mean, I had to have the police involved for me to wake up. Mm -hmm. We all have to have a wake up call, right? And heartbreak mm -hmm. is a good wake up call. Some people don't use that wake up call and then they go into another relationship to, 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 to kind of heal their wounds. But then it just, which mm -hmm. is what I was doing, which just keeps getting worse and worse. And so this work is for people that are like, all right, it's time for a reset. Uh, it's a new year. Yeah. I really want to make my relationships healthy because nothing, because I got to tell you, there's a lot of younger folk under 30 and stuff on, on um, mm -hmm. Clubhouse. You don't notice the impact on your life of these toxic relationships until your mid 40s. That's when mm -hmm. your body starts to break down with chronic illness. And it's because of these repetition, the compulsive need, neurotic need to repeat all of these childhood um, complexes that we had with our parents. And so it's a, it's a deep dive into healing. And so I don't want people to wait for a diagnosis or the police to, to wake people up. I want to have these rooms and these, these transmissions be people's wake up calls so that they can actually do something about it. Yeah, and I think figuring out that covert narcissism is a thing is, is huge for me because one question I've always asked myself within this relationship was, is my partner a narcissist? <laughs> and I think what I settled on is that either I am or I have these traits because I find that I'm unconsciously trying to destroy the relationship because I don't feel like I have the strength to just leave it yes. yeah. on my own. Yeah, And so I'm doing things that I feel are out of character or 
just breaking this person down enough for them to be like, I have had enough. Yeah. Because I don't think I can do that. It's like yeah. this cycle of like shame and guilt because I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be the person who who breaks someone down like that because can, can of you, course you understand what hurts them. And yes, so yes. to weaponize it, it's like, yep, that's at abuse. the end of the day, you, I'm just- You're abusing them. Yes. Right. And I can, I, and I'm so like ashamed about it. Yeah. And I well, don't want it to be a thing. Stunna, and, I, I have a question. Um, mm -hmm. it, can you see that there's a part of you that's testing them to see that they'll love you unconditionally regardless? Yes. Bingo. And so that is an unconscious, they, you call it sabotage, but it's a form of protection for the younger self. This is exactly why I'm so passionate about helping people with that exact problem find completion and unless you address it at its root cause you just you'll 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 listen you'll have your time on this on the stage and you'll be like oh thank you that was really interesting i appreciate <laughs> that which is what everybody does okay thank you bye and then you've done nothing actually to resolve it you will repeat it and it's not it's because it's not a rational thing it's actually happening within your body so we must resolve it at the body-based level and all of the tools that i used to use were cognitive based until i actually went through that experience and now not only do i get to enjoy a relationship that feels safe and secure like home but i get to show really committed people how to break cycles in their family dynamics and and have a completely different christmas or have relationships mm -hmm. where they actually feel like it's a mutual type of thing and they co-regulate it's like a safe place but stunna you've you can't blame yeah. yourself because you've never actually been shown what a healthy relationship looks like have you no. Okay. And so, I'm just learning that too. Yeah, you haven't. And none of that's your fault. So it's important that you find a community, find a guide to, to walk you through. Make sure if you haven't already, um, click my... That's my question. Yeah. Click Where my, on earth do I start? Yeah. Click my... Because I hear you mention these names yeah. of people uh, well, and here, like, I just want to know where to start. Here, here's, here's where to start. I click my um, Instagram um icon mm -hmm. there and join yeah, my yeah. Facebook group, Trigger Proof. This is broadcasting live in the group. You can watch this entire broadcast live. You can see a, a video of it if you care to. I mean, you're, it's a part of it. Okay. That's one. The second thing is we have a breathwork event coming up this weekend. If you truly want to start, if you truly, people say, where do I begin? I'm like, well, we have an event coming up on Saturday. It's called Breathwork and Badassery. And I mm -hmm. introduce you to this relation, rebuilding the relationship within yourself. And it begins with the breath. And so that link is also in my bio on Instagram. Definitely join on those. And there's also a link to do the uh, attachment style quiz so that you can understand what your attachment style is. So there's mm -hmm. some great resources there already, but without taking action, enrolling and just saying, okay, I'm mm -hmm. ready to be guided. If you feel comfortable with me as a guide, you can try it right. out just to see how our community actually works. I open up this breath work is I do once a week for my community, but I open it up to the public so that they can kind of register, they can enroll and, and see what the community feels like 
to see if they really want to learn how to break this cycle. It's not going to happen in mm -hmm. one event, but it gives you kind of an understanding. It goes, oh, okay, this is what it likes. This is what it's like to connect to myself. This is what it like feels like to feel safe in my body. This is what it's like to be guided into an intention. So it's, it's really mm -hmm. neuroplasticity. The way you break this cycle is because you've been hardwired like this, so it's not going to go away overnight, to learn tools and methodologies and strategies and have guidance and support to go climb up that mountain where you can actually, um, you know, stop becoming abusive to one another because it's all a function of your relationship with yourself. Okay. And thank you so much. Last thing how i don't know how to word this how do i um i guess undo maybe the damage i've already done or possibly i guess reduce the level of damage that i by doing the work by person. doing the work through actually doing the work and healing with mm -hmm. yourself the greatest gift you can give to your partner is a self-loving individual the greatest gift we can give to our children our self-loving parents the softer you become mm -hmm. with yourself, um, the softer you become with the other person. And you, when you really take on the healing work and embody it, you then expand your divine feminine. Instead of, you're, you're showing up as the wounded feminine. So mm -hmm. how do you undo the damage is you heal that wounded feminine within you, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's where the work comes in. And you can't get it from a book you can't, books are useful. It's important to have put it, digest content and listen to conversations like this one, podcasts and transmissions that are pointing you back to yourself rather than distracting you from life and waking you up. This, my content, I always tell you, you know, I tell people instead of putting you to sleep and, and putting you into some sort of a, uh, a, a daze, this is really about waking you up to reality, which many people don't want to because we're in fantasy land all the time. But being engaged in conversations with communities and leaders that are about awakening you, embodying you, healing those traumas, uh, dealing with those emotional flashbacks, learning how to have emotional intimacy and emotional intelligence and emotional literacy within yourself. Because when you're able to do that, instead of being abusive, you can just communicate. You're like, you know, deep down, this is how I'm, I, I was about to be really, really mean to you right now, but I just realized I just want to be loved for who I am right now. Can I get a hug instead? And instantly you're able to catch it. And instead wow. of becoming abusive, you're able to repair and learn skills that nobody ever taught you, but we need in this planet right now. So the world needs you to step up and heal your shit, Stunna. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Your, okay, mama I will... your mama didn't call you Stunna, did she? No, she didn't. <laughs> okay, great. So yeah, there you go. Well, that's your alter ego. So there's a false, yes. so <laughs> Stunna, your work is to drop that, learn how to drop that false sense of self that you had mm. to put up, that you had to put up in order to feel safe um, and, and learn how to be you, the real you. And so there's deep shame I can feel that you're covering up and you're not gonna wanna address it. And so if you don't, that shame festers and becomes toxic and that's where relationships become toxic and abusive because of unresolved shame. So you gotta be involved in conversations that don't shame you, that actually help you override mm -hmm. that and it takes takes courage well i am i'm willing to do the work and i appreciate the space and beautiful I will, i'll be there all right 
Take care. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. So much. All right. Beautiful. Allie, there's a familiar face. What's up, sister? <laughs> Nima. Yo, yo, yo. Um, it's been a while. How's it going? It's been a minute. I just had to come up here and just say I can't wait to read your book for one. And cool. Uh, congratulations. This little baby's so cute. Isn't he? Yeah. And oh, just I'm you know, you you asked what's coming up for us and your story. <laughs> I, can, I you really, can you relate? Can you relate? I'm sorry if you can. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, it's just, it's interesting because we, we, for what came up for me was a little bit of this shame. Like I'm 46. Okay. I've been through all these relationships and yeah. the same shit keeps coming up. Damn it. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Damn but, it. but yeah. So I'll just briefly give you an, a tiny bit of an overview. It's very tender and raw still, but I ended my last relationship in October. Okay. And um, the whole love bombing at the beginning. Uh, and I just, I just, it's funny, all the little things came up and then you started to say it and I was like, wow, am I that? And I'm trying to identify myself. <laughs> We're and, a little then, bit of all of it though, Ali. Yes, we all have yes. that the trick is to be able to see yourself with all of it, with some humor, with exactly. humor, right? So sorry to interrupt you there. I just felt inspired. Yeah, no, that's okay. Um, so I'm sitting with the, I'm processing and doing the work on my own. Cause I, I'm kind of like, I'm not around anyone. Mm -hmm. um, that sucks. Which can be a thing in itself, but, yeah. but it's actually really amazing to be able to write and journal and, different people like somatic therapists and stuff but cool it's you kind of look back at the bigger picture and things start to unroll in your mind and where I'm at right now is that I'm dealing with a bit of betrayal because he's now seeing a friend of mine Ouch. which I fully called at you knew it huh intuition. your intuition was like damn it and then I was gaslighted because it was yeah anyway yeah the whole thing. that sucks but yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to sit back though and have that forgiveness and put the wisdom into play. Of, okay. So okay, can I, can I jump in it. right here and call you out Absolutely. on something? Cause I, I feel safe to sit, to do this with you. Um, cause we've had, we've talked before, um, people in your line of work, yoga teachers, nutritionists, and all that run the risk of something real. It's called spiritual bypass. And just how quickly you just went to, I'm just going to go back and go. And this, by the way, when I do this voice, it's not to throw you under the bus. It's just is a, is a demonstration of the toxic passivity in healing work. I'm sick of it. So I'm just, I'm just bringing it out in the open because we've gone, because the whole Me Too thing has gone all into this toxic passivity that is a threat to our health and well-being. <laughs> so I'm just going to jump in and go, uh, I just, I'm just all about forgiveness. I know he's fucking my best friend, but I'm just, <laughs> that's all good. You know, I forgive him. It's like, bullshit, you're pissed. And the truth of the matter is I, to heal this, to heal for, because I'm helping people literally go through exactly what you're going through and their whole, th their whole jam because they're into yoga and everything is, oh, forgiveness. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Is that no. your yoga voice? <laughs> that's, my, that's my toxic passive voice, which huge in the spiritual community. Um, and it's like the yoga voice, sure. That'll be the yoga voice. It's like, um, and, and the, it's like, no, actually, where did you feel betrayal growing up, Allie?
I don't know. I'd have to sit with that one. Uh, it, there could be many little tiny moments of whether it's friendships or a feeling where you had had this one expectation and it was like the rug pulled out from under you gaslighting. And then that a truth that you knew that was kind of, uh, taken away from you, which then had you realizing that you were kind of, your intuition was right all along and the feeling of betrayal of that. Can you see any oh, of that? I, yeah, not specifically. I, I feel like I've felt it before though a lot. <laughs> okay. So what's happening is this is kind of like one of the principles we teach at the overview experience and stuff is that anything that's happening in front of us within a relational dynamic, the invitation is to go inward and see that this is this trigger is a call to action to reunite with a younger part of you that went through a similar thing. And we won't want to do it because we won't want to feel it. We're going to stay in our heads and go into the story and try to cope by bypassing, by avoiding. But what happens is that avoidance and bypass gaslights ourselves is a form of self gaslighting. And that prolongs the grief. This is what I noticed the biggest kind of thing when we're working with people to help them uncover is that there's a grief under there that they're not allowing fully to process. And so that's just my little kind of intuition there. I know, I don't know if any of that lands for you, Ali, but that's where you would want to look and definitely start to don't wait for the book to come out, get started and, and, and take action. Especially if you feel isolated as you do to make sure you're part of a community and part of a healing conversation that can really support you and challenge you along the path. Yeah, I feel that. Thank you so much. Beautiful, Ali. Thank you. Thanks for hopping up, and, and I can't wait to see you at the next mm -hmm. perfect time. Vanessa, one, we have time for one more. Vanessa. You want to unmute yourself, Vanessa? Are you there? Hi. There you are. Sorry. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know how to unmute myself. Um, Welcome. Thank you for Thank you very much. I've been uh, listening to your podcast and I sign up for your Breathworks um, workshop this following weekend. Oh, wow. So, um, That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, I've been, I think everything that you talk about really resonates with me. Uh, this um, anxiety, um, and yeah, I'm this anxiety type of relationship that I, I keep having with different partners and I ended up always you know, in the same cycle, it's just, it's by the book. Uh, it's like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's exhausting to see like <laughs> a, a, like a, a flow chart going step one, step two, I wait know. a second, it's what's like, going on you, here? How, what's how going do on? How you know that that's what I'm going through? Like, <laughs> sort of, I, I, had to, I had to do that too. <laughs> I, I had to go look and go, that was really the, the, the motive behind what I'm saying here. Uh, Vanessa, and it, 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 it wasn't, I keep saying before I hit go live, I, I feel this sense of angst because I'm like, I can't believe that my career turned out to be me sharing this really embarrassing story. But the more that yeah. I share it and say, this is what I was going through and I was repeating it again and again. And until it just kept getting worse. If you're noticing that the dynamic is getting yeah. worse and worse and worse, there's comes a very humiliating point where you're like, shit, maybe there's something at myself that I haven't been looking at. 
And that's yeah, when true growth like, starts yeah. to happen. It's not really about blaming yeah. you, Vanessa, because none of this yeah. was your fault. You sound like a really sweet individual who's a good person. <laughs> it's just when yeah, you're, when, it's, just, yeah. it's the fishbowl yeah, you were born into. Yeah, getting that out of that victim victimization uh, role is, is really is really powerful. And I've been doing a few breathwork sessions. Beautiful. Um, I started doing So I live in Australia now. I'm originally from Argentina. So uh, I, I noticed I've been, that. I've been, ar- I've been around. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. Well, and, well uh, I'm really glad I'm you'll here. be joining us. What you're going to experience, here's what you're going to experience on what's going to happen. Make sure you come in intentional. This is my salute. This yes. is my, my, yeah. um, counsel to everybody because this is your hero's journey this isn't something nima that's going to rescue you this is vanessa learning how to rescue vanessa so that she can then create a secure container for for her life for family for friends that kind of thing so come in make sure you come in with intention and make sure you come in open to whatever shows up yeah i think the main thing that i'm struggling with at the moment is uh, when you are in that dynamic, so I'm, uh, I recently broke up with my partner who's still legally married and still, you know, unable to make that cut with um, uh, his current wife. Yeah. Because of the, you know, excuses. You unable, know, unable, uh, quote unquote, uh, unable. But why would he if yeah, you're enabling him? Exactly. Well, why exactly. would he have to well, if he can get you for free? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So no offense, I'm just. Like I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still unable to make that. Um, yes. Final cut. Yes. We're still in contact. And yep. Still, you know, love bomb is love. The love. The love bombing is yeah. very, yeah. very. And and the thing is, here's what I want you to get, and I, this is part of your journey. And whether you decide to apply after you have that experience, make sure if you feel great about the process, make sure you apply to do the work. Because what happens is what you learn is it's not, you know, I did a, I did a a Facebook live and a podcast about this. Is it love or codependency? And what I discovered, oh, you watched that one too. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And what I said was, I'm going to repeat that right now because it'll probably be, what happens is when this, when the, 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 the one who's narcissistic in the love bombing phase with you, what happens is is that it's not him that you fall in love with. And I'm, it is going to sound really kind of triggering, but I just, I, I mean nothing but your, your healing. It's how I feel about it. Yeah. it no, no, it's, it's that he's getting you to fall in love with yourself for the first time. It's you. Yes. It's the idealized yes. version yes. of you that you're falling in love yes. with because you don't and have that's a the narcissistic in me. <laughs> exactly. He's essentially turning yes. you yes. into yes. your he's he's accessing your inner Kanye West. <laughs> we all have an inner we yes. all have a Kanye West inside of all of us. Yes. And those who say narcissists aren't empathic, they're very, it's a lie. They know exactly what your vulnerabilities are and how to reach those. The the, the thing that makes us vulnerable to a toxic relationship is a lack of self-love. And so it, it, it becomes your number one goal in life in this year to invest in yourself so that you can fully have this experience of self-love because 
having a deep sense of self-love and an ability to regulate your own emotions is the only thing that is able to have help my clients that we work with break free from these toxic dynamics. If we don't get there, you will always be needing him to give it to you, not realizing that, thinking that it's not available anywhere else because you, ha you haven't fi figured it out for yourself, but it is. And I look yeah. forward to showing you how to get yeah. there. Yeah, thank you very much. I think it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be the first step and I'm, that's your I'm first really, step. I'm really committed. I'm I really love committed it. To, okay. To make the change. Yeah. Awesome. So Vanessa. Hopefully. So come in, come in with intention and, yeah. and really find out how you want to use this to help you with it. What do you want to create in the next six months? And I'm going to invite everybody to ask themselves this question. Whenever you're listening to this at the time of this recording or whatever, what 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 do you want to make in the next six months? I know that the pandemic has been really shitty for a lot of people because they 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 isolate us and they 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 put us into a place where we can't plan for the future. So we don't have plans and we're stuck in our heads. And in, in Canada, we can't even go to a gym. So it's really the culture. The mental health is declining. You must take action and create a possibility for yourself in the next six months. Otherwise, you're just waiting for the government to tell you what to do. That is the opposite of heal that that is codependency. So to break it, you yeah, must you must <laughs> grab the whole, grab that grab the wheel. I want you to write down and and send me actually send me an email of what I think you you filled out the form before, so I have an idea yes, of what you're. Yeah, yeah I, I think I read your 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 thing. What is it that you want to create in the next six months, and what possibility were you committed to creating? And once you're done, you have an opportunity to dive in deeper and really learn how to train because it's not going to be one event that heals everything, but it's yeah. a system of returning to yourself. So I really look my, forward to, my, to, to my diving other, in. My other question, in terms of you know getting to you know in in a better state when you actually start doing the work, are you able to actually? connect with these ex-partners and have, even if you're not continuing with them, but at least have a healthy relationship in itself where you can provide some help for them to actually do the work as well, because that's what I'm finding myself now that he's, I think he's using as an excuse that yeah. he needs my yeah, tools, yeah, yeah. but at, at the same time, I know that he actually needs that. Yes, so yes. I'm, I'm confronting in between actually, you know, I'm not, I don't want to do that <laughs> to continue this toxicity, <laughs> but at the same time, I know that he needs help. Let me ask so you this you know question. I mean? Let me ask you this question, Vanessa, when you were younger, yeah. was it your mother or father that you took, felt like you had to take responsibility for their mental well-being? Which one was it? My dad. Bingo. Yeah, my dad is emotionally and Exactly. Yeah, so this is not yeah. about your part. Your question was like, hey, once I do the work, uh, this is what your question just asked me. Once I do yeah. the work, <laughs> can I just have a real relationship with him where I'm replaying the dynamics of my trauma bond with my father unconsciously and I can just keep helping him in this trauma bond? No, the answer, yeah. the answer is once you're done, you realize that this isn't about him and his mental well-being. This is about your dad. And you've actually gotten complete and realize that little Vanessa is no longer fucking responsible to take care of her daddy anymore, that she's now responsible for taking care of her. And, and instead, because that's all you've known, that's all you've known what love is. 
right? And this is your chance to get complete with dad. What ends up happening is you'll then attract a man who's emotionally stable and you won't want to push him away because right now at this point, if you met an emotionally stable man, you would have zero interest in him. (laughs) You would have zero interest in a man you cannot rescue. You'd be like, ew, ew, I can't rescue him. That was kind of like me. I was like, I need to find the broken bird so that it can be a completion (laughs) of my, my maternal uh, wound. Right. And so when I, when I met, it's funny, it's funny because I resonate with you. You're a chiropractor and a physiotherapist. Yes. Yes. And I do, and I do neurological rehabilitation. You rescue people every day. (laughs) I love you. You You're me. You're the female version of me. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what's interesting is once I healed that, I realized I want somebody emotionally stable. And when I met Diana, it was weird at first because I was like, wait, I'm usually taking on this role to help somebody who's not well mentally. That was my, that was my dance. Right. And it feels strange at first. This is another thing when you to go from toxic relationship, whether that's all you've known to go into secure at first, it feels fucking boring. So you think, oh my God, this is a mistake, but actually, no, it's actually a secure relationship where you can be met mutually. And so the answer to your question is when you really do the work, it doesn't matter because you've actually completed with the trauma bond itself. So you're not trying to replay it out in this dynamic with a married man and have an emotional affair. The question itself shows me you haven't gotten there yet. Once you do the work, the question will dissolve. You'll be like, oh, I don't need to rescue anyone anymore. I want a man who's emotionally stable. And I really want to stand for that for you, Vanessa. Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Beautiful. See you Saturday, my dear. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Or Sunday? Is it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday for us Australians. That's right. It's Sunday for the Australians. It's Saturday for us uh, in North America. It's always weird time travel. But uh, you were here for another Clubhouse slash Facebook Live trigger proof transmission. I really appreciate the beautiful shares today. Before I hit go live and I'm about to share something this vulnerable, I got to tell you, I'm not comfortable. <laughs> I told Diana earlier, I'm like, I don't feel good about this. <laughs> but what I, what I realized is, is that if I'm not ready, to, it, if I'm not willing to have these uncomfortable conversations, then most people uh, will go in hiding. They won't, they won't, they won't step up. They will hide as well. And so I want to lead by example and let you know that there's nothing for you to be ashamed of. If you've had a toxic relationship, you're in good company with myself, with uh, really famous people, especially Elon Musk. If you haven't had a great relationship, you've only had toxic relationship. This dude who is the richest man in the world, one of the most brilliant geniuses and can send a rocket ship to Mars, but, and return it back to earth. (laughs) But he just can't figure the relationship thing out. It's just toxic relationships. So what I'm saying is you're in good company and it's wise for you to start surrounding yourselves with role models who, who can show you and explain to you and create what a secure relationship container feels like. But, but you have to actually feel it. You can't get into a, you can't read it in a book because if you've never been modeled a secure relationship, then you must have that model to you must experience it so that's how i learned to have secure relationships i became good friends with dr russ and he and i 
built a secure relationship where we have conflict and we give each other critical feedback and we're able to handle it and and know that we have each other's best interests at heart. And then I was able to have a secure relationship. And I want everybody to have that experience of being able to sleep through the night knowing that you feel safe with the person next to you and they're not going to leave or or you don't worry that they're going to cheat on you or you trust yourself. This was my problem. It was, I didn't trust myself. I trust myself now for, the, for God's sakes. And that's a big deal. And so I'm delighted to help teach people how to break the cycle. And that's what we do. And I'll, if you haven't already joined our Facebook community, make sure you do. I'd love for you to write your biggest takeaway if you haven't joined our Facebook community, join it. Go into the post that's that says uh, uh, "Anatomy of a Toxic Relationship," and then write your biggest takeaway. What questions do you have? I'll I'll, I'll be able to to listen if you're reading on YouTube. I do read everything. I try to answer as best I can. Uh, I'm super duper busy with the, the 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 students that do invest and come along. I mean, I can I like putting out this content for free. I I, I have hundreds of hours of free content, and it costs a lot of money to actually. Pre- produce it um, from equipment to team and everything. So I do want to say this is sponsored by our programs and events and big ups to those of you like uh, Vanessa who have actually invested and uh, to shown up because you guys make it possible for me to put out the free stuff. So those of you who uh, invest and receive our guidance and and have massive transformations and and write reviews and all that big love to you and uh, thank you for being part of part of my space uh, have deep love and concern uh, for our species <laughs> I don't think it looks very good yes narcissist codependent cycles are are the norm uh, unconscious relationships are the norm so I want to be the voice to break the cycle and and produce conscious relationships because I need it at the most. And not only am I the president, I'm also a client. So see you all at the next perfect time.